0: Really, God would choose someone like her? After all, she was a societal pariah. She, uh, her name was Rahab, and she lived in Jericho, and she owned an inn, but really everybody knew who she was and what she really did. You see, she was a prostitute, and that inn that she owned, well, it was a brothel. This was a woman who made her living by selling her body for sex. She was the kind of woman that most would stay far away from and most everybody would talk about behind her back. They would talk about the awful things that she did and the awful way in which she made her money. Really, God, you would choose to love somebody like that? Really, Jesus, you would choose to love someone like him? I mean, he was a societal pariah after all. His name was Matthew and he was a tax collector. And in the employ of the Roman government, he would go around to his fellow countrymen, these Jews, and he would collect taxes that would go straight to Caesar himself. But that wasn't all he did, and it wasn't the reason why he was necessarily hated. He was hated because he was an extortionist. Not only would he collect money that was destined for Rome, but he would also collect what I suppose you could call somewhat of a finder's fee. He would take money off the top and from these Jews, his fellow countrymen, and he would line his own pockets creating for himself this nice little life. But it turns out it was a life of loneliness because everybody hated him. He was the kind of person that most would stay far away from and most everybody would talk about behind his back, the awful way of, of life that he lived and the way he made his money. Really, Jesus? You choose to love somebody like that? When I read through the, the characters woven into the narrative of Scripture, that is often the way I I think and And it's the question I usually ask, and that question becomes even more uh, prevalent in my heart when I find out not only how God's grace chose these people to be his own, but also how God, in his grace, chose to use these people. Take Rahab the prostitute. God chose this prostitute to not only have saving faith, but in his grace used him to carry out his gracious plan to save these two Israelite spies before God gave Israel Jericho. I mean, really, God? There could have been anyone else, anyone better, anyone who lived better, anyone more righteous than this prostitute. And yet, God chose to give his grace to somebody like that. What about Matthew, the tax collector? Matthew, in God's grace, was given saving faith. But also Jesus, the son of God, in his grace, chose Matthew to be one of the 12 disciples one of those 12 specially chosen men who got to go around with Jesus for three years, seeing the grace of God manifested in flesh and blood. Really, Jesus, this is who you would choose? This thieving tax collector? But in spite of what I think, God chose a prostitute like Rahab to display his grace. In spite of what I think, God chose a thieving tax collector like Matthew to be one of the disciples. And I wish that, question in my heart, and maybe this is a question you have asked, would only stay within the confines of when I am reading scripture, but unfortunately, that question ends up being asked of the people that we encounter in this life. A friend of mine is a pastor in a, in sub, in a suburbia of a large metropolitan area, and across the street from his church is this large Section 8 housing complex, and if you're at all familiar with Section 8 housing, you know the kind of people who usually occupy it and the kind of lives they tend to live. Well, one day a man from this Section 8 housing wandered into his church. He looked and smelled like he hadn't showered in a number of days. His clothes were worn and tattered. He reeked of marijuana. His eyes were pinned. But this man from Section 8 housing, he didn't come inquiring about money or for food or gas that he probably would have spent on drugs anyway. Instead, he came into church asking about God, asking about Jesus. And my friend's reaction is the same reaction I have about Matthew and Rahab. Really, God? You choose to love somebody like this? This is the person to whom you want me to give your grace, your arrow pointing down love? One of the fundamental truths about being a child of God, having your heart transformed by the gospel Is that we are to take that which transforms our hearts, namely the grace, the arrow pointing down love of God, and we are to share it with others. And the best part about all of this is that God equips each and every one of you to be harbingers of His grace, and He places you in situations and gives you people with whom you are to share it. But unfortunately, we take this, this awesome privilege that God gives us, and our sinful nature gets the best of us, and we look at the people that God brings into our lives, a man like Matthew. Or Rahab, or the man from Section 8 Housing, and we ask, Really, God? This is the person that you're gonna to choose to love? This is the person to whom you want me to give your grace? I wish that wasn't the case. I wish that that question didn't infect my heart, and I, I pray that it doesn't infect your heart all too often, but we need to figure out why, in the occasions, on the occasions that it does, why do we ask that question? Why, when we look at people, maybe even people within our own congregation, why do we say, really God? Why do you choose somebody like that? I could just give the blanket answer of sin and move on to some sort of application, but, but really this morning we need to get to, to the heart of why we are doing this. And really what we are doing when we are asking the question, really God, is your grace meant for that person? What we are trying to do is figure out who is meant by all when Paul writes what he does in Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says, There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace. Who is meant by all? In the same breath, Paul uses that word twice. He says, all have sinned, so who is included in sinners? And then he says, all are justified freely by his grace. Who is included in all? And that search is what really drives us to ask the question, really, God, these are the people that you're going to choose? Because when God brings somebody into our life that we don't think deserve the grace of God, not at least the way that we do, and we ask that question, what we are really saying to, all, to, to God and to that person, that they are a worse person than we are, that they have lived a worse life, that they have sinned in a more grievous way than we have. Therefore, they are included in all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but maybe we shouldn't be included. And then when it comes to the all of God's grace, that all have been justified freely by his grace, we think that we are certainly deserving of it because we don't sin as badly as that person does, but but that person whom God brings into our life, a, a Matthew or a Rahab or that guy from Section 8 Housing, well, certainly the grace of God cannot, should not, will not be for a person like that. Really, as we're doing all of this, what we're doing is, uh, is playing that favorite game of our sinful nature called the comparison game. It's a game with which you're all familiar, whether you call it that or not. It's when you elevate somebody's sins over and above your own and you downplay yours. And when you're playing that comparison game, which leads you to ask that question, really, God, that your grace is for that person? Really, you've done two things. What you've done is you've turned God into this karmic being Right? Because if God's grace is only for those who look pretty good, if God's grace is only for those who don't sin as bad as a Matthew or a Rahab, then, well, then I'm not too bad and God lives and breathes on a karma system. The other thing you've done is, is, uh, is, well, you've downplayed the effects and the nature of sin in your heart. Because you're saying, well, God, these sins aren't too bad for me. And I don't think that they should be too bad for you either. Because obviously, you've given me your grace, and your grace is for people like me, not for people like that. But it's exactly for these twisted sinful notions that Paul writes what he does in Romans chapter 3. Because Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, needs to instruct us and to get us to understand, or help us to understand, I should say, what he means by all. That when he says all, he means all, he means everybody, both when it comes to sin. And when it comes to grace, he says, There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everybody. That's you and me. It's the people out there. And when we come to that realization that we are sinful, we stand right next to people like Rahab, people like Matthew, people like that guy who came from Section 8 housing reeking of marijuana, And from a worldly perspective, our sins, they may look very different. And they may not even be sins that people can see because they're sins that happen in our hearts. But to God, all of those sins are the same. They're deplorable. They're detestable. They're a stench in the nostrils of God. And God needs us desperately to understand that we are included in all. Because it's once we understand that we are included in all that we can begin to fathom the depth of God's grace. Because it's only when. It's only when you get to the heart of your sin that you can understand the heart of God that manifests itself in his grace and what his grace spurred him on to do. Paul says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace. God in his grace justifies you. In other words, he declares you not guilty of your <clears throat> of your sin. And he does this because of his grace, because of his arrow pointing down love. He saves you sola gratia. He saves you by grace alone. And This grace is for all people. Not just people who walk, talk, and act like you, but people like Matthew, people like Rahab, people like the guy from Section 8 Housing or the one that God brings into your life that you don't think deserves the grace of God. God's grace is for all people and this is what God's grace has done. It declares a person not guilty of their sin through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Redemption or to redeem somebody means to buy them back from something. Uh, In this word is a picture of a person using a rather large sum of money to buy a slave his freedom. You and me Matthew, Rahab, the guy from Section 8 Housing, we, are, we were born into this world as slaves to sin. When Satan, our master, cracked his whip, the whip of lust and hatred, of, of, of hatred and lies and gossip, whatever else he wants you to do, we could do nothing else but listen to the crack of that whip. We are born into this world as slaves to sin and could do nothing but sin, but God But God desired that you would not be slaves forever. In his infinite mercy, God desired that you would be his children. That you would be sons and daughters of the Most High God. And in order for that to happen, he had to redeem you. He had to buy you back from your slavery. But the sum to buy you back from your slavery, it was not not a gift that came, it was not a sum that came easily, nor was it cheap. It it can't be matched by jewels or gold or silver. It can't be matched by anything that this world could possibly have to offer. The price to buy you back from your slavery, the price of your redemption, was the crimson blood of Jesus Christ, your Lord. The innocent blood shed to cover over your past. The innocent blood shed to forgive your sins. The perfect and holy blood of the anointed one of God that paid the price for all you to be in heaven. All of this, God did by his grace alone. But he did not do it for you alone. God's grace is for all people. Even for people like that. For the Matthews and the Rahabs of this world. For the guy from Section 8 housing. The ones that God brings into your life that you don't think is necessarily deserving. God's grace is for all people. And this truth by grace alone, grace alone for all people. It is the one truth that distinguishes the God of the Bible from every other God that exists in this world. This truth of grace alone for all people is what sets Christianity apart as the one religion over and above every other religion, because nowhere else in all of the world do you have a God who, by his grace, spurred on by nothing but his love that was willing to take on flesh and blood to buy you back from your sins with his death. Nowhere else do you have that existing. And nowhere else do you have this concept of grace, not just being for a select few people, but being for everyone. Because by the very definition of grace, it is not something that you can earn. It is not something that you deserve. It is a gift. It is the arrow pointing down love of God that is given to you fully and freely. It is undeserved. And this truth of grace alone for all people, it completely transforms the way you look at everybody else in this world. Because here's the reality of God's grace. God's grace doesn't care a lick about your past. It doesn't care about whether you were a prostitute or a tax collector It doesn't care about whether you are a liar or a thief or a gossip. The arrow pointing down love of God, it cares about your future. And it transforms your present. Because the grace of God that transforms your heart, it transforms the way you see somebody. And when God brings somebody into your life, you no longer see them as a person who is too unlovable, too unforgivable, too undeserving. But rather in them, you see a picture of yourself. And you see somebody who is included in all. That they are a person who is included in all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they are also a person who is included in in the all of all are justified freely by his grace. They are a person for whom there is redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. They're a person for whom God's grace is meant. They're a person to whom God's grace is intended or for whom God's grace is intended. God's grace is not just for you. It's for all people. Do you want a demonstration of this truth? Look at Rahab. This prostitute from Jericho, by God's grace, was made a child of God. By God's grace was saved from the destruction of Jericho. But more than that, by the grace of God, Rahab was an ancestor to the Messiah who lived and who died to save the world from their sins. God's grace is for people like that. Do you want another demonstration of this truth? Matthew the tax collector. By God's grace, he was made a child of God. By God's grace, he was made a a disciple. But more than that, by God's grace, he was made an evangelist. And he wrote an entire book about the work of God's grace in the person of Jesus Christ. God's grace is for people like that. Do You want another demonstration of his truth? It's the man standing before you. Born into this world, condemned and destined for hell. But by God's grace was made a child of God. By God's grace was made a shepherd of sheep. By God's grace was made a very proclaimer of the grace that saved him from an eternity in hell. God's grace is for people like me. Do you want another demonstration of this truth? Look to your left. You can do it. Look to your left. Look to your right. All of you. All of you were born into this world, slaves to sin. By the grace and the mercy of God, you are made children of God. You are saved from your sins, and eternity is yours. God's grace is for people like you. I am looking at 20 something walking testaments to this truth of grace alone for all people. And you never know. You never know how God, in His grace, is going to use somebody like Matthew, somebody like Rahab, somebody like that somebody like all of you, to be an instrument of his grace for sinners who need it the most. God grant that in Jesus' name. Amen.